Covered in Glory is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. Download it, must be 21 years or older. Welcome back to another edition of Covered in Glory. How are you doing this week, Brett? Uh, I'm doing good, man. I mean, it's soccer every day, so I don't know how you can complain. <laughs> well, I guess tomorrow technically there isn't Premier League, but there's been Premier League pretty much up through today. We're recording on Thursday, and it starts again on Saturday. And then we get Champions League next week. So how can one not be doing good? It's true. We do get Champions League next week, which we'll talk about uh, City and see how we think that might impact them. But we're going to focus on this week first. We have six matches to talk about. None of the big six are uh, squaring off against each other. But we do have a big game at the top of the table, which we will get to in just a minute. But Brett, last week we did a draft where we started talking about the players that we would take to lead uh, teams to win championships in the next five years. And it got me to thinking after last week's show ended because so much of it was City players and Arsenal players, a couple Chelsea players, a couple, uh, at least one United player, um, about the future of these individual clubs. And so obviously we can't do a draft where everybody gets shaken up. These players are on contracts. They're not going to move teams for the most part. They're going to be on the teams that they're on. And a lot of them are on City. The City looks like they're going to win the championship again this year. City looks like they're going to win the championship next year. City looks like they're going to possibly win every championship that's ever contested until we all fall into the sun. But hopefully something will eventually change. Uh, so the question I want to talk about with you this week is, besides Manchester City, which club do you think will be the next one to host the Premier League championship? Well, it's a depressing answer, Toby, on my end. Um, I, you know, I wanted to go through and, you know, maybe pick like Liverpool, Chelsea, uh, United return to glory, the Arsenal with their young guys. But I mean, let's face it. A lot of this still comes down to money <laughs> and the team with the most money right now, other than Manchester city is going to be Newcastle, uh, boy, uh, you know, backed by another nation state that the Saudis, uh, they're just going to pour money into that project until they get to that point. Um, I mean, obviously there, there's going to going to be initial uh, questions like Karen Trippier does a lot. He's getting older. He's not going to be able to do this for the next couple of years. There's still obviously pretty sizable gap between them and city. Um, but they're basically their, their goal differential is even with Arsenal this year, uh, there's going to be continued investment in that team. That's going to probably, you know, double and who knows what other shady financing like city has with ghost corporations and stuff like that um, is going to go into it. But they've also done a good job so far. I mean, Eddie Howe looks like he's legit as a manager. Um, their recruitment's been pretty good. Isaac hasn't blown people away, but he's been solid. Uh, we're huge fans of Bruno G um, yep. here uh, on this pod. Um, and I think they're just going to keep, you know, adding pieces, adding pieces until they get to that point. Man, I thought you were going to go with Arsenal for sure because I prepared a whole bunch on Newcastle. Then you said all the words I was going to say. So I don't think I don't think everybody is ready for uh, this quite yet. That you're following the league somewhat casually, or even you know a little bit beyond casually. Um, Newcastle has not had Champions League to recruit for yet, and now they're going to have Champions League available to 
the top players. Mm-hmm. It's going to completely change their target set and completely change who will say yes. And I think we would all like to believe we live in a world of uh, daffodils and rainbows and the people won't want to go play for the Saudis. But uh, Lionel Messi just took a two-week suspension just so he could go over to a nation state that had a lot of oil and um, angered his own team. Obviously, we've seen what Ronaldo have done. City have never had a hard time recruiting. Uh, the salaries that are going to be available at Newcastle are only available at a handful of other clubs. And we've seen them make smart signings already. You know, Gene Reese is obviously a winner. Uh, I, I think I'm a little bit higher on, on Isak than you are. Um, Tony Gordon, not a smart signing, but they can swallow that one. And he's still young, so he might improve. If Trippier can keep this level up for a couple more years, and he's obviously a keeper, maybe Joel Linton, I don't know. Uh, but they're about to add five or six more nailed-on starters in the next two transfer windows and 10 over the next three. Now that they have Champions League, and I think that they are an absolute behemoth. And, and two years from now, three years from now, if Pep gets tired of doing this and Holland's gone and things like that, they're going to be set up for their own city-like run. Yeah, and I mean, and let's like kind of put it in like the simplest terms too. When we look at the other clubs, like there's obviously key needs. Like it would have been great for Liverpool if they won the Bellingham sweepstakes, which doesn't look like they're even in anymore. But like with Newcastle, it's like very simple. Like Sean Longstaff has played 2,400 minutes. If they just acquire a player that's better than Sean Longstaff when they're already. Well, how are they going to do that? How are they going to do that with billions of dollars? Yeah, I don't know how. It's it's going to be tough. Like they're going to have to get tricky. They're gonna the Longstaff standard? I don't think they'll ever play that it's, it's, Yeah, they're going to have to take flashlights into every nook and cranny of the globe and find a player on a field somewhere. But, you know, that that's the kind of thing that we're looking at, right? Like, and even Dan Byrne, who helped solidify them when they were kind of in the relegation fight. Like he's played 2,700 minutes. He's a league average kind of left back center back type. They're basically what I'm getting at is their path to improvement is very simple. If they get better players than those guys, they're already going to be better than what is now the, the team that has the second best underlying numbers in the premier league. And that's kind of like a sad, sobering thought. Um, you know, when we're thinking about the premier league going forward, we kind of talked about this too, is like the oil bowl. Every time city and Newcastle plays is it's going to be exciting for matches. It's not great for like the health of armor. But it's particularly because they have worse players than all the teams around them right now. And they're still outperforming. them. I mean, I, I, I think that there's not anybody in the world that at the beginning of the year, if you are in January, if you looked at the rosters for United or Chelsea or Liverpool or maybe Tottenham versus Newcastle would have taken Newcastle's given a choice. But Eddie Howe, as you said, has done a great job this year. He's going to get them in the Champions League, which they needed to get in the superstars. I guess the only like real question mark is can Eddie Howe manage superstars because he hasn't done it yet. Uh, so is he able to assimilate those? Is he managed? Is he going to be able to handle egos once they have squad depth? Is he going to be able to rotate people and keep them happy and give them the minutes necessary? Cause they're going to have a 15 to 20 deep squad, just like city does. And that's the only kind of real remaining question marks is the rest. Yeah, of the And I mean, obviously if like the answer to those questions is no, and any cow can prove it, like that's still going to be a top job that every manager is going to want to take. Um, and it's, you know, I mean, I, I think the, the the sad part is too is like we had some interesting uh, like takes on the 
early part of the bully era with some of the ways the structuring contracts, uh, the things that he was doing with the Dodgers, you know, we were wondering if he was going to bring some of that stuff and it was going to look smarter. Instead, it was kind of spending like a drunken sailor. And so far, that project hasn't been going well. We're not going to get too far into that because I want to keep you happy on the show today. Um, but then the other thing, too, you look at Liverpool, who has been the city rival basically these last few years going punch for punch with them pretty much. Um, and then they have ownership questions as well. FSG is thinking of selling. Um, Michael Edwards, who is kind of the architect of like all those teams, is gone. So they have a new, uh, new faces, new voices behind the recruitment. Um, like Pep Linders is kind of a guy that's like taking on a bigger role according to reporting. Um, so we don't even know if like this is going to be the same smart, savvy Liverpool. And we've kind of seen that with like their signings of Gakpo and and Darwin Nunez, who you know aren't like weren't like super analytical. Darlings, it wasn't like when they signed Mo Salah after he underperformed his XG. Um, these were like you know, tall athletic guys that like typically you think of it's like the like the old Doc Rivers thing that we used to talk about. You always just sign all the players that he played well against him, right? And that's kind of the thing with yeah. like when coaches get involved in the recruitment, they're like, Well, give me that athletic, you know, tall, strong, fast guy, and I'll make him a player. Um, which typically, you know, ends up not being great. So it'll be really interesting to see what Liverpool does. I think the the question marks of ownership and then their kind of front office staff, like make it really hard for me to think that they're going to be a team that's going to be able to push these other two with the, the financial gap between them. Yeah. I mean, I think Arsenal also has a shout here. I mean, obviously like when we did the draft last week, Odegaard, Saka, Martinelli were all three of the top 10 players that you want to build around. And we ran through the rest of the squad. It's it's pretty young and, and all solid as well. And Arteta, I think is starting to uh, separate himself, you know, into one of those managers that does make a difference. Of course, I've got some bad things to say about Arsenal when we get to their game. So it's hard to give them like a full shout here, but it's possible they could sneak a title in between the city, you know, hopeful decline and the Newcastle inevitable emergence. So I think they're another legitimate answer here, but I think this is kind of, in my opinion, kind of a, a four tier uh, league for the next five years. The city by itself at the top is in a tier by itself. I think Arsenal and Newcastle sit together in the next tier. And also, if, if for no other reason, Arsenal gets a good shout. Like, this year's not over completely. I mean, they are, are only yeah, one yeah. point back at the table. They could mm-hmm. win this year and be a fast answer to this question. So we can't completely you know, throw that to the side. Uh, but them and Newcastle, I think, are in the second tier. The third tier, I would say, is uh, Chelsea and United. And my rationale for that is Chelsea already has a lot of the players in-house and it's just been a series of clown managers. Uh, and a bunch of mistakes and a bloated squad that they're going to trim down and which should help with their rotations and help with a whole lot of things. And they have, they just have a ton of talent that they've already spent the money and they'll continue to spend the money. Um, so I think they belong there. United is a sleeping giant. I mean, United still has the highest revenue kind of in world football and they've had manager, uh, sorry, owners that have been actively destroying them. And it looks more and more likely that starting next year, they won't have owners that are actively destroying them, at least in the same way. I mean, Ratcliffe could get in there and pull a bully and spend a bunch of money on bad people and <laughs> call himself sporting director and all sorts of stuff. Like that is possible, but they still um, still might be an upgrade have, over the Glaciers, though. <laughs> it's true, and they they have they have the worldwide following, they have the revenues, they have the stadium, they have the history. Like they they've never at once had a problem with recruitment. Uh, I don't know if Ten Hogs the guy, but you know we'll find out uh, when the Glazers are gone. So I think those two belong in the next tier. And then it's Liverpool and Spurs behind them, which is you know kind of unbelievable to say, given the dominance that Liverpool's gone through. Because not only are all the things you just said true, uh, Klopp is eight years in, 
And Klopp is starting to put up a lot of smoke that he might need to do something here. He might choose a different project in the not too distant future. Uh, he's complaining a ton about the refs, obviously. He's complaining about the spending by every other team in the league. Um, he's already won, you know, the titles that will make him a legend at Liverpool forever. And I could absolutely see him going to take on the Bayern project if Tuchel doesn't work out. I'm sure there's some other projects that would interest him. And without Klopp and with with an aging squad and without a confidence in a full rebuild and owners that kind of have their uh, eyes elsewhere, I just don't see them, you know, anywhere near the five teams ahead of them that I already named. And finally, Spurs. I mean, Fade Spurs is the unofficial name of this podcast <laughs> for a reason. And there's only so getting many worse. unofficial names of this podcast. Well, they're only getting worse, too. Yeah. Like, tell, tell me, what is the evidence that they will ever ever get over the hump given the quality that's ahead of them i i see none of it like you know we, we're gonna talk about kane a little bit later uh but they don't have any of the generation behind kane they're not going to win it you know next year or the year after that son's obviously on the downside uh you're just you're clearly a pedro poro hater god toby well it's everybody already. Leave the guy alone <laughs> yeah well the guy got toasted uh last week to yeah give up several <laughs> of the goals um and then you have cool who could be a good piece, but we just don't know how long if he'll have anybody in the past or anything like that. So that was a long rant. Sorry about that. But I think that's the clear grouping for these teams over the next five years. Yeah, I mean, I might quibble a little bit with Liverpool. I I mean, they're going to be interesting um, as far as what they do this summer. Um, But they've also kind of when things have gotten healthy and Klopp has made an interesting adjustment in terms of his ability to kind of go against this heavy metal football with kind of co-opting what we've seen from the other top teams of more reserve fullbacks that are more involved in the build-up play, less exposed in transitions. Um, and, you know, I mean, if they just get a couple of midfielders that like aren't James Milner, um, they might be interesting. So uh, I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, Liverpool is like the biggest question mark to me. I think of all the teams um, Chelsea looks like they're going to need some untangling Spurs look like they're on their way, way out of the top six. We might be booting them for Newcastle in the podcast next year. Um, but I, I think Liverpool to me is like the biggest wild card, right? Like I, in my opinion, I think they could be a team that title uh, that challenges for titles, um, or that they could be a team that just playing for a fourth place trophy every year. It there's, it's going to be interesting. Like they are hands down to me the biggest question mark of all the teams that we've talked about um, United. I just still not sure there's a process there. Um, I mean, they've allowed Ten Hag to bring in like Woot Weghorst. So yeah, yeah that doesn't really inspire a ton of confidence. Um, you know, I think they're kind of surviving this year on, on basically like a, I don't want to say it's a last ditch effort, but from Casemiro and maybe he has another year or two at this level. Um, but a big year from Casemiro, who's a defensive midfielder, and then Marcus Rashford's reemergence. And then on top of his reemergence, he has been insanely hot. He's been riding a heater a little bit as well. Um, I would be curious to see what that ha- what happens when they have extra Champions League slates, when they do have to add players, what their recruitment's going to look like. Is Ten Hag just going to sign a bunch of Dutch guys that he coached <laughs> coached or played against uh, in the area division? I don't know. Um, it'll be interesting. So. Um, but I, I still think Liverpool could be the the one team that we look back in a year or two and say, this this went good or bad in one direction or the other for that team. Yeah, the Wood Wickhurst thing, that's unfortunate, right? Like that's if I was back being a trial lawyer, I'm just praying that 
that the other guy doesn't find the DNA evidence because once he does, like your case is dead. <laughs> that, that's yeah. you use the wet horse defense <laughs> against me, and I have nothing to come back from. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much a, the wet horse thing. Pretty much kills every argument in one way or another. I think. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm sure we'll be talking a lot about it over the next five years, so we don't need to spend any more time on it tonight. But it is an interesting exercise, particularly heading into a transfer window, and particularly heading into a title race that is becoming one-sided. So we needed something to talk about at the beginning of the pod. Well, and also, uh, you know, good news. Well, poor news for for, for Toby. He's going to be sucked into this every week here. But uh, our our off season is going to be incredibly short. We have a Champions League final on June 10th, and the season, I think, starts on August 12th. So we better talk about it now, because before you know it, we will be talking about next season. Yeah, we'll be talking about a Manchester City team led by Haaland, KDB, and Jude Bellingham. Oh, God. They're minus 700 favorites just, to win the Just give me August. those weeks until that happens, please. Exactly. <laughs> All right, well, uh, we'll start this week with a matchup that inspired my question because the two biggest kind of contenders for the crown are going head-to-head this week, which is Newcastle, third at 65 points, versus Arsenal, second at 78 points. This game is Sunday at 11.30 a.m. Our friends at Caesars have Newcastle at plus 145 and Arsenal at plus 165. The draw is plus 260. Newcastle minus half a goal is plus 135. Arsenal is minus 175. So, Brett, for a heavyweight clash like this, Arsenal versus Newcastle with both teams uh, with separate things to play for, Arsenal still desperately trying to cling into the title race, Newcastle trying to finally lock up that Champions League race that's going to get that oil money flowing into all the right pockets. I wanted to clear the floor for you to talk about this as a, from a tactical point of view uh, before we get into everything else. Well, uh, the interesting thing about this this matchup and what really about the Newcastle team in general, right, is like they're they're good in possession, but they're not like a possession intense pressing team that we typically associate with some of the better clubs in world football. And so this is going to be a weird match in the sense that usually when you see this type of matchup. It's a little bit more back and forth. There's more transition teams aggressively pressing each other. I think we're going to see like a Newcastle team. That's going to be very okay without having the ball um, and then playing through the counterattack. And that does suit their style. I mean, with, with guys like Joel Linton kind of moving into that free eight role with Isaac and his ability to dribble past guys in space with Colin Wilson, making smart, intelligent runs in behind a defense and Elmeron's kind of the same way as well with this crafty movement. You, I think Newcastle wants those unsettled transition moments um, where Arsenal, who we obviously know they sign every passer that Mikel Arteta likes um, to control the game, to press aggressively, to run the ball back, to make a million passes, to be that oppressive team that pins you in the final third. It's, so it's going to be like, uh, it's going to be almost akin to like a top team playing, you know, like a Burnley uh, in this well, Sean Dice is a manager at Everton. So playing like Everton. Um, right now in the sense that I think we might see like some really weirdly low possession stats for Newcastle, but I think the game as a whole is going to be pretty even. Now, the interesting thing was, is Rob Holding, who has been (laughs) the center back at the scapegoat, was actually replaced in the starting 11 for the last Arsenal match in which they looked a little bit more sturdy. And again, I'm not saying this is a correlation. There's a lot of moving parts in soccer but they looked a little bit more steady on the defense then. I'm kind of curious to see if that's a thing, if it really was like Rob Holding punched a hole in their defense uh, after Salvo was out. Um, but against Chelsea, 
I'm sorry, man. I'm really not trying to bring them up. I'm like, I have to mention them because they played them last week. But against Chelsea, they looked they looked a lot more solid. Um, they gave up very very few big chances. They gave up less than one expected goal total in general. I know you have your opinion on probably why that is, and it has something to do with the fact that you think Chelsea sucks right now. Um, oh, but you think I'm the only one who thinks that? I think that's well, opinion is held by the world. It's true, very true. Um, but it, but it was kind of a stark contrast over their last game. So to kind of read off this, I pulled it up real quick. But against Liverpool, Arsenal allowed 3.9 expected goals uh, in terms of the chances that were created. Against West Ham, 1.8. Southampton, 1.3. Manchester City, 2.5. And then Holing goes out of the lineup. A young Polish defender comes in and it's 0.8 against Chelsea. So I don't know if that's a thing. I don't think it's a thing, but it's interesting that that was kind of what happened is they, they kind of plug that leaky thing. I know playing Chelsea helps, uh, especially with the lineup that Frank threw out there uh, with Aubameyang and Sterling. I'm sure that made you super happy, um, but I'm very curious to see how this one actually goes because these teams are incredibly even evenly matched. As we mentioned in the beginning, same exact underlying numbers, 0.83 expected goal difference per 90. Uh, this is going to be a super fun match to watch. I'm really actually looking forward to seeing these two teams play each other. Do you have a way before I become a coward? Are you leaning one direction or the other, Toby? Can you let us in? Uh, yeah, because I'm not a coward. <laughs> um, this game was no-no last time. So the last time they played, they, they did uh, coward's way out, definitely cash. Uh, but Arsenal has not been good against the other teams in Champions League positions this year. And I don't know if they are flat track bullies or, or what it is, but when it's time for the brightest lights to shine, they haven't, you know, kind of shown up. Uh one, four, and one is their record against combined against City, Newcastle, and United so far this year. Um, so given the odds, uh plus one forty five, plus one sixty five, the draw plus two sixty, I'm going with Newcastle plus one forty five. I do think that all three of these are are pretty good um, likely outcomes, and I do could absolutely see Arsenal after they bounce strong, uh, bounce back strong after the, the the game against City by dismantling a listless Chelsea squad that they could come out and do the same thing to Newcastle. But I've seen Newcastle play well in these matches. Uh, they've won eight of their last nine, and I haven't seen Arsenal step up into the challenges quite yet. Plus, both of their center backs are health risks right now. They're starting center backs. So given the odds, given it's fairly even, given Newcastle's at home, I'm going with them at plus 145. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you know, maybe this is like a confirmation bias thing of me, but I went in before I looked at the line and I was thinking anything under plus 240 for a draw, I probably wouldn't want to touch. So it was plus 260 for the draw. I, it's just one of those things where when these teams are so even, it's really hard for me to sit here and go, how does this game not end in draw one out of every couple of times, or at least, at least somewhere between one out of every two, one, uh, one out of every three. And you're, you're getting the plus two sixty number. I think there's value there. I know I, I hate, I know you hate it when I pick draws because I'm a coward. I've admitted it. I'm a coward. Um, but well, I, I do. I just think, I mean, just for the record, like, I just think the range of outcomes ends up being too wide for the draw to ever be that good of value. And I understand like the, the one and two or one of three things can like skew you and make you think that way. But I mean, like this could go two nil to either side. It could go two one to either side. It could go one zero to either side. 
Um, all those outcomes, I think, are in play. And so now you're just betting on like nil-nil or one-one, maybe at the very edge of it, two-two, and it kind of landing on that exact number. And I don't just for me personally, I never feel good about that bet. Yeah, I mean, you definitely whittle down your range of outcomes into like two or three score lines, right? Um, which isn't great. But I guess I kind of look at it as you know, it's a, in a process-driven thing. And one of the things that gave me hope is in the last match, it was a nil-nil draw and they created the same amount of chances basically as each other. And Newcastle did it just how we described. I actually have it pulled up. It was 66% possession of Arsenal, 34% for Newcastle. So they were able to play the style that I think they're going to be forced into and they created an even amount of chances. Um, I just don't see why that would be different going into this next matchup. Um, I think if I had to pick a side, I would lean towards your end on the Newcastle side of it, just because of the shaky Arsenal center back situation. And it looks like Arteta wasn't super happy with the midfield either because Thomas Partey also got removed. Um, so if I had to pick a team, I would lean towards that side. But it's just like I keep going into it thinking these teams are probably going to create the equal amount of chances. If that's the case, you got to go with the value in the draw. Maybe. I'm going the exact opposite of you, just because I also love to live life and, and, <laughs> and not and not, not root be, for ties. Not be a coward and root for <laughs> sticking ties. Um, I'm going on for my prop, both to score no draw at plus one twenty nine. Uh, as I said, Newcastle has won eight of the last nine, but both both teams scored in seven of them. And Arsenal are much better offensively than most of the sides that they placed in that nine game run. So I feel pretty dang good about both teams hitting the scoreboard. And if I feel pretty dang good about both teams hitting the scoreboard, and I think both teams could you know easily get to two and win this game, and I'm getting a plus number for that scenario, then I'm really happy with the odds. Yeah, I I mean, at least on, the, on this end, we're kind of in the same vein in the fact that we both expect goals. Um, I kind of went with the generic over the 2.5 goals, which is the minus 150. It's not great value. And if this was at the Emirates, I would probably say maybe lean towards almost the under in that nil-nil, one-one if you're looking for a draw type of thing. But I do think this match is going to have goals. Arsenal has been really leaky. Um, Again, I'm not going to use the Chelsea thing as like a sign that they fixed something. Maybe just a sign that Rob Holding was not exacerbating some other issues that were going on. Um, But I do think there's going to be goals. And I think Newcastle's range is in the two to three. And I think Arsenal's range is in the one to two. That means the majority of the time you're hitting me over. And so even though the, the juice sucks at minus 150, I still think that's where there's good value. Cool. Well, uh, enjoy this game Sunday, guys, because this is going to be a, a big, important matchup year after year in the, in the Premier yeah. League for the next, you know, two, three, four, maybe even years beyond that. It depends on how long Arsenal keeps up this pace, because I think Newcastle is going to keep it up for a really long time. Uh, Now we need to take a quick break so I can go pour myself the world's largest drink so we can talk about Chelsea. Why should you bet with Caesar Sportsbook? Two words, Caesar's Rewards. Every bet brings you closer to the types of benefits only Caesar's can offer. Hotel stays, VIP experiences, sports and concert tickets, and more. It's not just an app, it's an empire. You must be 21 and older and physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, or Washington, D.C. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Utah, and other states where prohibited. No one stop before you start. If you have a gambling problem, Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Ohio, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania. If you or someone you know has a gambling 
gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER or Maryland, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net, Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP, Colorado, D.C., Nevada, Wyoming, Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700, Indiana, call 1-800-9 with it, Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF, Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Massachusetts, if you or a loved one is experiencing problems with gambling, please call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org for 24-7 support. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NEW-YORK or text H-O-P-E-N-Y. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Okay, we are back, and we are heading to a massive clash between 12th and 13th in the table. Uh, Bournemouth is 13th at 39 points versus Chelsea is 12th, also at 39 points. That is right. They have the same number of points as Bournemouth. And if you actually go to the relegation odds, Chelsea has is more likely to get relegated than Bournemouth on May 4th, 2023. Uh, this game is Saturday at 10 a.m., but in my opinion, it should never, ever happen at all. Chelsea is plus 114. Bournemouth is plus 235. The draw is plus 240. Chelsea minus half a goal is plus 105. Bournemouth is minus 135 on the double chance. So, Brett, um, I'm going to deflect pretty heavily here. I got a question for you. Last week when we we were going over some of the the topics in the draft, I described myself as data curious. So I uh, I pay attention to analytics. I pay attention to data but I haven't gone all the way down the rabbit hole like you have. So my question to you is Chelsea in their last nine matches, they were ahead and many times well ahead on XG in six of them, six of the nine matches. They were well ahead of in XG or ahead or well ahead. Yet they have two points from those nine matches, two points. They have zero wins. They have two draws and they have seven losses. So is XG junk or is XG worthwhile? It's definitely not junk. Still the the most uh, predictive metric that we have to kind of measure things in soccer. Obviously, like any number, it's got its flaws, got its things you can't look at. Um, But I think you know what we always, what we always kind of do is we look at short term runs and we say, okay, well, when does this turn around? Like when when are we getting this to bump back in our favor? When is variance going to shine on us? And we, that's the one thing that's hard to say, right? Is like, we don't really know when you're going to get regression to the mean. We never know when it comes. And I think what we've seen with Chelsea is there was a run where they were kind of okay to, to above average and unlucky. Then they fired Potter 
And then now they were, they went from average to below average also being unlucky. Um, and so but they're I still think, winning on XG, even under Frank, they're yeah. winning on XG. Yeah. And I, I think again, I think a lot of it just comes down to the fact that this has been one of the worst finishing seasons, probably by, I would have to look up the data. Unfortunately, I'm not, I wish I worked for like ESPN and I could pull up this data, but this has definitely got to be one of the worst finishing seasons um, for a team against their XG. They just don't score goals. Like they just don't finish. I think Jao Felix is like four goals under his expected goal totals. Um, and he pretty much is has that good. That's <laughs> not good. It's not good. Uh, 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 yeah. I'm sorry, Toby. I wish I'm trying to give you good news. There's none of it there. Um, but I, I do think it's one of those things where, you know, we never know when that regression comes from. There's clearly some finishing issues. There's clearly some guys that, you know, maybe they're just not great finishers and they'll kind of be chronic underperformers. I mean, even Jekko is like a perfect example of a guy that's actually really productive, but still a chronic underperformer of expected goals. Um, I, I think a lot of it has just been Chelsea made some rash decisions. I, you, I don't want to relitigate the whole thing from Tuchel to Potter to Lampard, um, but they have been all also extremely unlucky. They've dealt with a ton of injuries. So I do think that like we are going to see a pretty big bounce back. I don't think all these players magically suck. I also think that Frank Lampard, as we have discussed ad nauseum on this podcast, might be one of the worst value deleting managers. Uh, whatever. Well, it, no, Frank's, Frank's awesome because we have talked on this podcast over and over again, do managers matter? And the answer is yes, just not in the way that we expect. Yes, yeah, but they, but he, they can oh, they can absolutely take a team and make them way worse <laughs> in a matter of weeks. Like it's incredible. So yes, managers do in fact matter, just not always positively. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's the thing that we got to remember with watching this Chelsea team. It's like we are seeing the absolute worst version of them. We are seeing a team being unlucky. We are seeing, uh, seeing a team underperforming coupled with a really bad manager. So if you do want hope, basically what I'm saying is you're looking at rock bottom <laughs> yeah. um, because there are a huge number of players that are underperforming their expected goal totals, um, starting with Kai Havertz. Then you have Sterling. Then you have Joe Felix. Like not all these guys are going to constantly underperform their XG totals. It's just not going to happen. Um, uh, Christian Pulisic also is underperforming his expected goal totals in the Premier League. So like that's all their attackers. And I think when you couple that with the fact that Frank Lampard is truly horrible at his job, he is a tanking specialist. Unfortunately, he manages a sport that doesn't benefit from tanking. Yeah. Um, I think we're seeing the worst version of Chelsea. Um, I do think that with a new manager, with Bully settling down in his recruitment a little bit, so you can actually kind of parse together what is good and what is not, um, things will get better. But I mean, at the same token, the problem with this now, when you talk about Chelsea matches, it's like, what's their motivation? I know you joked about the relegation, but that would be the most insane thing ever if they somehow tell, uh, tumble all the way down to 18. So they have no motivation. They're clearly broken. I can't imagine the players trust Lampard after dealing with like two very tactically astute detail oriented managers and two Colin Potter and then going to Frank, who's very much the, Hey guys, here's who's playing today. Just go out there and do your thing. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, you're right about the rock bottom thing. Like I'm Kendall Roy standing at the top of a skyscraper and thinking about jumping, but they do have a chance to bounce back. And by next year, I will be Kendall Roy promising our entire audience eternal life. So there is a way that I'm going to come back from this. Uh, but in terms of like your evaluation point, Frank's not only playing the wrong lineups tactically, he's playing the complete wrong lineups like motivationally. Like Sterling does not care. Like he's Zero. shot into the sun right now. Obama yeah. Yang could not be less interested in playing the game of soccer in a Chelsea uniform. So like he did do the right thing and played Nani the other day, right? Nani responded with the goal. Mm-hmm. And so I, all I want to see is like all I want to see a couple of games left. I want to see Nani. I want to see Mudrick. I want to see uh, maybe even David Fafana. Like, I just want to see the guys who we need to know whether they can play a meaningful role next year or whether they need to be loaned out. But like Sterling, Obama Yang, maybe even Kova, like I've just seen enough. Just play the kids who have something to prove in this league. Um, And if he he does that, like maybe we'll at least see some goals. But like you talk about them being a bad, bad finishing group. There's one person who's absolutely excellent at being finished, and that's Aspilicueta. So like as long as he's trying to hold down the right side of this defense, all three goals from Arsenal came from the left side, and Aspi was involved in all three. Like he needs to be done. Um Wesley Fofano needs a little bit of a break. There's a retirement break. home in Barcelona, apparently, for Wash Chelsea players. Marcus Alonso was already renting there. No, it's awesome. Barcelona and Arsenal are two places we send guys who are finished to go live out their lives. And somehow they keep getting paid. I love that they're able to provide such a wonderful services for us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I love him. He was an absolute legend, but he's done. And we already have addressed it, right? Like we have Malogu still coming in next year to back up Reese James. So we shouldn't have this dreadful of a hole next year. Uh, another way that we'll be better. But I, I don't know. They're, they're finished. There's no way in hell uh, that I can tell you I'm going to put my money on them. There's no way in hell I can tell the audience they should put their money on them. Um, so if you want to bet on this game, and I suggest that you have better things to do with your time and money, uh, <laughs> especially when Man City and Tottenham hey, Maybe we have some really time, big Gary O'Neill fans, man. Come on, don't, I, don't I, alienate them. I'm going Bournemouth double chance, uh, minus 135, that they can get a draw or a win. Because I, I am even money all day long, no matter who they play, Chelsea can find a way to lose. <laughs> Listen, Bummer, because we have, I mean, I guess we've talked a lot, so it's good to keep it short, but I had the same thing. Um, I vacillated between taking the draw, but we talked about Chelsea kind of being average and unlucky or the varying degrees of what their underlying numbers look like, plus unlucky. Bournemouth was horrible and lucky. Then they've been slightly better and also still lucky. So I don't like the idea of picking them to win. They obviously have a lot more motivation. They are much closer to the abyss of relegation. If they slide over three games or so, um, this match is at home. I I wanted to take them outright, but I couldn't do it. So I wanted to mix in the draw. So I actually took double chance bet as well. I think that's the best value. Again, there's just no way I can put money on Chelsea, not with Frank Lampard managing, not with zero motivation, and what looks like a clearly broken, just absolutely morale sap team. I just can't do it. Um, Here's an and with, If they lose this game, I'm giving them a one-game pod suspension. We're not doing their game next week if they lose this time. I'm, I'm taking a mental health break from these bones. <laughs> That's that's more than fair, um, especially since they're sort of irrelevant to anything going on in the league right now. Um, 
But yeah, and with that said, um, I, I am kind of leaning into if Obama Yang and Sterling get trotted out there again, which is just freaking bizarre. Um, the both the score no was minus one hundred five. Um, yep. I do think if Chelsea ends up eking out a win somehow, it's probably because Bournemouth is, still has issues creating chances. Even though Dango Unchained has fixed that for him a little bit, um, I still I still think that in some way, shape, or form, there's going to be a zero next to somebody's scoreline. Uh, so I love the it was only minus one hundred five. Yep. Uh, I just I had to pick some prop. I'm not betting either of these. But if I was to do it, uh, Mudrick's going to score one of these last five games uh, because I think he's been the best player. He's been the best attacking player when Frank finally decided to play him in each of the last couple of matches. And he's going to find the back of the net. He's had some ruled off for offsides. Eventually, it's going to come his way. And he's getting plus 280 while all the rest of like the crap Chelsea players are somehow still in like the 120, 130, 140 range, even though they scored one goal all of last month. Um, so don't waste your money on Havertz or Aubameyang or Sterling or anybody else. If you want to play a Chelsea guy to score, Mudrick's the best guy. Uh, the other one I, I kind of liked is 1-1 one, one exact score line is plus 425. Because I think yeah. the, the range of number of goals to expect from either team is really tight. Like both of them yeah. are 0-1 to one with two of Chelsea ever finally get some regression. So finding an exact line to 1-1 one, one and getting such nice numbers on it uh, made a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to leave you with kind of, I think, a ray of sunshine that's going to be mixed in. So Chelsea is underperforming their expected goals, goals and attack by 10 goals. Um, and the reason they actually aren't worse is because Kep is having an awesome shot stopping season. So there you go. Sunshine at the end of a cloudy day, Toby. Kep is now one of the world's best shot stoppers. Congratulations. Oh, my God. He's one of the world's worst ball gatherers. Oh, oh man! Uh, all right, Toby, I'm trying to give you something. Just up. Stop talking! Shh! Stop talking! I'm <laughs> done with them. Let me move on. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, we get to move on to the league leaders. Manchester City first at 79 points versus Leeds 17th at 30 points. Saturday at 10 a.m. Manchester City is minus 700. Leeds is plus 1500. The draw is plus 700. Manchester City minus two and a half is plus 105. And Leeds is minus 135 to stay within two goals. What a magical time we live in. And speaking of being magical, Big Sam is back. back. Leeds has four games left, and they turn to the absolute legend. The absolute legend, Big Sam, who only ever gets hired by clubs that are facing relegation in a very serious manner and doesn't often save them. Like the, he's been out of a job since West Brom got relegated because yep. they brought him in to avoid relegation. So Leeds looked at the whole landscape and said, we're about to face relegation. Bring me the guy who's guaranteed to get it done. They are somehow shorting themselves. They're betting themselves to be relegated. They're looking forward to winning, maybe winning uh, the championship next year. But tell us what we can expect from a big Sam-led club. Uh, well, if you listen to him and his delusional psychosis or whatever you want to call him, saying that he knows as much, or knows as, much as Pep and Klopp and all the other great managers, uh, then we're, we're going to see this like free-flowing style of football. No, we're not. They're going to bunker down. <laughs> They're going to cross things in Stuart Downing might come out of retirement and just start whipping crosses to like Andy Carroll. 
Who Andy, knows? Carroll, Andy Carroll sitting in the crowd, which is where that cross would land. Yeah, that's where so that cross. That would makes go. sense. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean it, it's it's bizarre. I, the one other thing I'm, I'm thinking of, and this is getting away from the game a little bit, but was like, has there been a manager who's been fired that looks infinitely better within two months of being fired as Jesse, Jesse Marsh? Marsh. Like, uh, well, I can think of one. His name is Thomas Tuchel. That would be one. That would be no one. But that doesn't count because, like, anytime Frank Lampard comes after you, that's like an immediate boost. Like, that's a whole other thing. But like, I, I have not really thought about. Uh, I couldn't really think of too many managers that have gotten fired when a team was clearly like not doing well, maybe underperforming in terms of expectations, and then literally within weeks looks like he was the greatest manager of all time because the team is such a dumpster fire. They had to go to Sam. Allardyce. Oh man, Everton is trying so hard to get relegated, and Leeds is like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. I know what we can do. We can hire Big Sam. Oh my God. Oh, <laughs> oh the classic relegation hold my beer move. Anyways, as far as the match goes, Leeds is a wreck. A big part of it is Tyler Adams is hurt and probably not going to be back for the end of the season. I see no way you can possibly take leads when Sam Allardyce is going to bring 1992 Premier League football back. Uh, City minus two and a half, City clean sheet win. Give me all the cities. Just give me all of it. Well, do you have any concern whatsoever about um, having the Champions League midweek against Real? No, because their Pep has shown that it doesn't matter who plays. <laughs> it's just Cole Palmer could score four goals. And Cole, that's the thing. Cole Palmer could start in this match. I would have nothing. I would be like, yep, whatever. Put more money on it. He's probably going to score four times. But yeah. no, he has rotated guys in and out. I mean, Julian Alvarez is playing like a free eight uh, when they're playing West Ham and they still annihilated West Ham. And Moise has that team playing way better than Sam Alvarez is going to have Leeds playing. Um I just I just think the other thing too is like one of the the counterintuitive things when you play City, it's kind of like well like how like Ralph Hasenhutel's teams seem to always like trip them up a little bit. Was when you bunker down against City and you just let them and KDB and Phil Foden and Gundogan and Mares and Jack Grealish just have the ball in your final third for seventy five minutes of the match. That is a death knell. You have to press them in some degree. And I'm going to tell you what. Sam Allardyce may tell you that he knows as much as those other guys. If we go in and we see a complex pressing system, a high line from Leeds against the city match, I will literally run around with a pair of shorts on my head in my complex and you guys can paint Leeds colors all over me. I don't even care. It's never going to happen. They're going to get annihilated. They're going to probably get outshot 30 to three. Palmer is going to have four goals. Oh, Man, I hate that there's American players on leads, but after what they did to Jesse, and I'll see what they're doing. I just want to see it burn. It is pretty wild that the exact same players are going to play for Jesse Marsh and uh, Sam Allardyce in the same season. Yes. There, like, there's a good recruitment approach right there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like they're all like, you know, kind of tailored into Marsh's system and recruited for it and things like that. And now they got to play. Oh my god, soccer. Um, soccer is the best. It makes so much sense all the time. So I'm also going city minus two and a half plus one and five. Uh, but my prop, it's it doesn't make sense, but it keeps happening, so I'm gonna keep betting it. 
It's City to win, both teams to score, plus 130. It's not going to be close, but they tend to switch off. They give up the one goal. Somehow everybody hits a wonder strike against them. And so it worked against Fulham. It's worked for me several times. And it's better odds than them to win 3 0, or, you know, at least by three. So I'm going to take the plus 130 and think Leeds is going to get a consolation goal somehow, some way in this match. You notice West Ham scored zero goals. But you know who wasn't? In goal for City, Ederson. <laughs> We're, I'm going, I am not going to leave that go. We are going to be early on this hype wagon. He has been negative. He has given up four goals by my expectation. Ortega, who was his replacement against West Ham, actually had really good shot, shot stopping numbers for Armenia or whatever they were in the Bundesliga last year. Um, and sure enough, when it was time when the city was up 3-0 and you're waiting for that consolation goal, Ortega made some saves. Ederson doesn't. Just saying, coincidence, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Beautiful. The guy's deep into analytics playing the I don't know maybe game on correlation. Oh, there, there's heavy There's heavy subtext to everything I'm saying right now. The uh, the other two I would throw out, um, if you just believe City really is going to dominate and Cole Palmer's going to have a double hat trick, uh, Manchester <laughs> City, three or more first half goals is plus 420. So if you think they're just going to come out and really roll these guys like they often do, that is a very juicy number to get on a big first half from City. And the other one, uh, watching the games this week, the thing that stood out to me most about City well, no surprise is Erling Haaland, but the actual surprise is it was his playmaking that I thought was really excellent in these last two matchups. Yeah, he's definitely uh, twice, got there. Twice he like opened up Grealish for like one-on-ones with keepers, and Grealish just couldn't finish because he's not a great finisher. And then uh, in the midweek against West Ham, he set up Rodri, and Rodri hit a rocket that you know got tipped off of the bar. And so, especially, I guess, with KDB out, I don't know if KDB were playing in this game. They're all crashing Holland so hard in the box that when he's not making those darting runs, he's starting to camp up near the top of the, the box and playing, you know, like a slight hold-up role where he's just getting it and turning it and hitting it to a runner or drawing a lot of congestion a little bit deeper in the box than laying off a rushing attacker who gets a shot to curl one in the corner. And his anytime assist is plus 185. And I just feel like those assists are going to come as the variance of finishing goes in his favor because he's creating really great opportunities. So that might become another portfolio bet because he's ridiculous. He's minus 400 on the anytime goal, yeah, but you can get a, a plus 185 number on the assist. And he's showing that, uh, that that's in his locker in these last couple of games. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I would say, just kind of talking about prop bets with like KDB or Holland, um, I would, I would say the one way that the midweek champions league game is going to impact them is if city is up two nil three nil early like first half they may get subbed off right away in the second half so prop bets with those in general i love i love the idea of where you're going with that but i do think that if they do hammer leads those guys will probably be off at half i would have to imagine then we will be seeing Cole Palmer actually play. Good point. But if they already have two or three goals, there's a pretty decent shot. Yeah, it's a good chance that made. he was involved in one of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, for sure. All right, let's move to our next match. We have Tottenham, 7th and 54 points versus Crystal Palace, 11th and 40 points. This game is also Saturday at 10 a.m. 
Tottenham is minus 123. Crystal Palace is plus 320. The draw is plus 270. Tottenham minus half a goal is minus 130. And Caesars has Palace at plus 100 on their double chance. Uh, so, Brett, I don't want to talk uh, too much about this game because I really do want to talk for a minute about the game we saw last week that we were so excited about, which was Liverpool versus Spurs. My, I mean, that was the one only of the best matches. <laughs> well, you put two pints on it, so you still uh, turned a profit. Um, what are the best games of the season? One of the most entertaining games of the year? 4-3 Liverpool with two extra time goals, an equalizer and a winner happening in back-to-back uh, fashion. Just a thrilling match yeah. from time to time. It's a real shame that a lot of Spurs fans missed it because they were walking out of the stadium when they were down 3-0. <laughs> yeah. They were literally leaving, and they missed that fight back that they saw. And what a fight back from the Spurs. I mean, look, we I keep talking about fading Spurs. I'm not going to back down from that position, but I also said last week, and then they came out and proved it again, like I wish Chelsea had half their heart right now. The fact that they can go down 3-0 and the fact that they can come roaring back, the fact that it's always freaking Harry Kane that seems to inspire and lead the comeback just continues to add to his legacy. I won't quite call it a legend, legend because he has zero trophies, but he's still created quite the legacy uh, in his play for the Spurs. So um, I thought they had a lot to be proud of. And then on the Liverpool side, and we're going to do the Liverpool game next. So we'll kind of merge them just slightly here. But on the Liverpool side, I was so thrilled to see Diaz back uh, in the starting lineup. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I was, he got the score. I mean, that score he had was audacious. Like the ball was so far behind him. And somehow he twisted his body and got a strong boot and beat the keeper near post on a rocket that he had no business getting that much power uh, midweek, he made that real slalomly run that Salah should have finished, but he blazed over the bar after Diaz carved up the whole defense. I'm really excited to have him back. Um, on the things I'm less excited about, Liverpool's defense showed so many cracks in that game, and they continue to show cracks in the midweek. Not only did they blow the the 3-0 lead, but Tottenham hit the post two other times in the second half. Like Tottenham was really taking it to them, and I don't know if they just completely switched off. Uh, Van Dyke, I thought was particularly worrisome. He got beat by Rick Carlson for the winner. He almost got beat for uh, a goal in at the death of their game midweek where an attacker got goal side on him with like one minute left and got off a pretty good shot. Uh, their high line looks a little bit sleepy to me. I mean, they played it a couple of times. Sun particularly made that bending run and completely dusted it. Uh, I have no idea why they even use such a high line when they were up by so much. I mean, I even thought that. That was confusing, but I know they came out with the win. I know that they're ascended. I know they've won. I believe they're last five, but I don't know. I mean, I thought somehow Tottenham lost that game. And on the whole, I walked out feeling better about what I saw from Tottenham, given their limited aspirations versus what I saw from Liverpool, given their, you know, much higher aspirations. Yeah. I mean, I think the one thing that I would say sort of, I don't, I think if, when you look at the starting 11s, which was Curtis Jones and Harvey Elliott playing again uh, in front of a washed Fabinho, um, yep. or well, possibly washed question mark um, Fabinho, I think you were kind of staring at that. There's also the classic flow chart of when you go, you know, like when you have one of those talking scripts and you're like, somebody's asking about Liverpool's defense. Did James Milner, Milner play? Yes. <laughs> That's why they got scored on. Um so, like, you know, that's one of those other things I think, you know, Elliot and Curtis Jones are definitely not guys that are, are it's not peak Hendo and Wijnaldum, right? So, 
that game was just bizarre in the fact that Liverpool just completely blitzed them early, which leaves them to kind of be asleep at the wheel when you go up three goals as quickly as they did. Then they were playing a midfield that is just not designed to stop anybody. Um, and I think you're right. I think the higher line, I mean, Van Dyke is just not going to cover ground in space, which means Kanate has to do a lot more. Um, and I, I just think that that spells trouble for them. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's interesting. Uh, I Liverpool has been kind of fascinating to watch on this run in. Uh, they're also giving me hope because, oh man, the joy that you and I would have if United <laughs> chokes away a Champions League spot. Oh, give us that gift 2023. Um, but I, I do think that you're right in the sense that like there's some questions. Why, why was that the preferred style? Why was that the starting 11? A lot of that is stuff above our pay grade. We don't know who's hurt, who's dealing with stuff, who needs to be rotated, all that kind of stuff that's going on inside the locker room, inside the training room. Um, but yeah, it's concerning that like they want to be, you know, the still as aggressive heavy metal side up 3-0 with the midfield of Jones and Elliott and Fabinho, who just doesn't, who just looks like the ghost of himself. That's another name for our podcast, the ghost of Fabinho and the ghost of William combining. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I really, honestly, I don't have an answer for, for the, the concern, the level of concern over that, that comeback with Liverpool, as far as Liverpool is concerned. Um, I just think this is just how they are. I think this is just how they're going to be until they can fix the midfield. Yeah. Well, for this particular matchup, uh, Tottenham won the reverse fixture 4-0. And as I said, I did like their fight back. So I am going to put a one-week moratorium on Fade Spurs, just one week only. And I am going to take Tottenham minus 123 in this matchup. And then for my prop bet, uh, Palace, you know, has had goals in their boots recently in their last four games. Uh, I'm sorry, in the last game they scored four. In the last five games they scored 11. So uh, I'm going with one of our mutual favorite bets here because Palace is capable of scoring and because the Spurs do seem to uh, fall behind over and over again recently. Come from behind and win or draw for the Spurs plus 625. So if Crystal Palace gets that first goal and, and Tottenham showed this fighting spirit and I think Tottenham will ultimately prevail and I would only need them to draw plus 625 is an incredible number to have if Palace strikes first. Yeah, I, uh, you and I are very different on this one. I mean, under Roy Hodgson, Palace is, he just went with the playbook of like, we're not even going to try to attack. <laughs> I think they've gotten pretty lucky in terms of the chances that they've created and the goals that they've converted. Um, but Hodgson is Hodgson, Hodgson's this up. I can't even turn that into a verb. Um, but like, I, I like Elise. I think he's a lot of fun to watch. I like Essie. I think he's a lot of fun to watch. Um, I just don't think that they're like guys that are that great yet at creating really quality chances. And Hodgson is clearly buttoning this up playing like a four five one and just trying to be like, I will take a point every single match. So this team stays up kind of deal. Um, and it's worked in that regard. And so the, I am also putting moratorium like you, that is where we're the same and basically taking the Spurs money line. But the, the line that I liked is just, with a team that doesn't want to attack playing against a team that's going to play their back three. I took the Spurs clean sheet. I, I think that palace would be more than happy to have a nil nil draw. And I just think that they are riding hot right now in terms of their finishing their chances. So I really like the idea that Spurs are 
technically not mathematically eliminated from the Champions League. Uh, so they still have something to play for, even if it's just trying to get into Europa, because um, they have a fight on their hand with Brighton even to do that, unless they are super stoked about Europa Conference League in seventh. Um, so I actually like just the Spurs clean sheet, not the clean sheet win, because I could see Hodgson just basically playing 11 guys behind the ball the entire match and Spurs being not able to convert anything. So I like the clean sheet at plus 165. Okay. All right. Well, I was going to take a break, but we just did something less about Liverpool and we're uh, a little behind on time. So let's just do the Liverpool game real quick. It's sure. Liverpool fifth at 59 points versus Brentford ninth at 50 points. This game is Saturday at 12.30 p.m. Pool is minus 215. Brentford is plus 525. The draw is plus 350. Pool minus a goal and a half is plus 115. And Brentford is minus 145. So after all I just said about the Liverpool um, defense and my concerns about them, both of my bets are on Brentford. The fact that I'm able to get Brentford uh, plus 1.5 and minus 145 feels like excellent value to me, particularly because Brentford is has an excellent track record of keeping games close. 23 of the last 25 games, they've stayed within one goal. That is not just like a fluke. That's not even just like a small trend. That is way more than half the season. They've avoided teams beating them by two or more. And that includes games against all of the powers, City, United, Arsenal, et cetera, and so forth. Like strangely, the only two exceptions were Wolves recently and then October against Aston Villa, free Emery. Bizarre. Yeah, it's really bizarre. Uh, and in the reverse picture, picture, they actually stomped Liverpool three to one. Also, Liverpool might be missing Klopp because of suspension. After he <laughs> he went full grammatical on us and strained his hamstring, taunting an official, which when he does go into whatever version of Hall of Fame he's going to go into, like, I don't want to hear about the Champions League. I don't want to hear about Liverpool's first ever. Hear about that, one. that has to be the first line of any, any short biography written on Klopp. That was absolutely <laughs> preposterous and incredible and the reasons we watch sports all wrapped into one. Um, so without them looking impressive against Fulham, without them you know, being able to keep their their boot on the neck of Tottenham um, and the only reason they beat Fulham was on one of your pet peeves like a penalty at the edge of the box when the ball was running away and there was no chance the guy was going to score on Nunez and then suddenly they get a penalty with a .8 XG. It's the only reason they won that game. I just don't see it. So they might win. They can win 1-0. They can win 2-1 or whatever. But I like Brentford to keep this close to minus 145. And since um, since I'm going Brentford here, my prop bet is Ivan Tony plus 220 as a anytime goal scorer, which makes him uh, worse odds than like five or six of the Liverpool players, despite the fact that he has 20 goals this season. He seems to score one and two. Uh, and even better than that. And there are a lot of cracks, as I keep saying, in that pool defense. Yeah, um, I I went back and forth on this one. And ultimately, whether this is a good or bad rationale for this, I, I just kind of looked at the motivation. Um, Brentford is pretty much out of Europa competitions. They could maybe sneak in a seventh with a lot of luck. Um, Liverpool has an outside shot at the Champions League, so they will be full throttle. So I ended up just taking Liverpool at the minus one and a half. Am I thrilled about it? Not really. Uh, did I like Brentford's pricing with them covering? I absolutely did not, especially because they have some games, as you mentioned. Uh, they weren't against the top six teams, but they've had some pretty bad games against Wolves, Villa, et cetera. Um, but the one bet I really did like, even though the value of it sucks, 
is a goal in both halves is minus 185. And this absolutely screams like a match that's going to have multiple goals in each half. So I love that bet. Horrible pricing. But that's actually probably if I was going to put money on this game, and I will be honest, I have no idea how to bet Brentford. It's been two years. Still no idea. But that would be the one that I'd actually probably put some money on. All right. Well, way to find, as I've already told you, it happened twice in 25 games and using those two as your example. So excellent work, sir. I'm just saying they have they have weirdly bad games. I don't know. They just come up all of a sudden. It's bizarre. Yeah. They're weird. You know, he's just saying all the time is Harry. And Harry is an absolute jinx. Harry, he, he put up a soccer pick the other day. I think it was yeah. Lewandowski to score, and he was in the building. And uh, Lewandowski scored. Harry went crazy, and then it was called back. So, <laughs> pretty, oh, pretty Harry, I'm not understanding that offsides can pull so many goals away <laughs> from you. All right, now let's take that break that I promised. We'll come back to our last game, Five Pint, and set you free here. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Uh, okay, we are back and we have West Ham 15th at 34 points versus Manchester United 4th at 63 points. This game is Sunday at 2 p.m. Manchester United is plus 107. West Ham is plus 230. The draw is plus 260. Manchester United minus half a goal is plus 100. West Ham is minus 130. Um. So today's game against Brighton, they got wildly outplayed, I thought. Like, they gave up 22 shots, and they almost miraculously came away with a draw before justice came from them on a pretty sketchy handball in the 99th minute of play or whatever it was, and McAllister buried the penalty. Real-time extra time, baby. There's another advertising for right there. Real-time extra time. McAllister steps up, buries it, and puts United um, – Not, I mean, they're not in trouble, right? Like, they still have – uh, what four points on Liverpool? There's, and there's like, they're like an eighty-six percent chance yeah. they're favorite to get the final spot in the Champions so, so, Yeah, so they have four points and a game in hand on them. Obviously, the point today would have helped, uh, but it really helps to go, go against a truly struggling West Ham team who have lost three in a row and conceded nine goals in those games. Uh, so I expect United to bounce back from today's game. I expect them to go out and beat West Ham. I don't expect them, you know, to blow them out to the point where I'm going to adjust the line, but I think they need the game. Pool is just putting just enough heat on them uh, that they need to take this, you know, seriously. Uh, West Ham also needs to take it seriously because they're a shock relegation candidate, which is going to really drop the price on Declan Rice. Uh, so I guess in some ways, a lot of the big six is rooting for West Ham to go down, but to get a plus number, on a quality United team against a subpar West Ham team, I'm happy to get it at plus 107. Well, I will just get it out of the way. Uh, I'm taking the coward's way out and taking the plus 260 draw. Uh, the reason being is I don't know if it's a matter of taking things seriously because against Brighton, two things happened. One, that match was actually super intense up and down. It was actually a really kind of probably one of the most entertaining nil-nil turning into a one-nil at the very end type matches I've ever seen. Uh, but United's back line was Diego Dallo, Luke Shaw, Victor Lindelof, and Aaron Wambasaka. 
that does not inspire confidence. Um, I am not sure what is going on at West Ham. It's been a really disappointing season. Moyes is like weirdly went all in on this Europa Conference League thing because I guess a trophy is a trophy. Um, but they've been a little bit better over the second half of the season. They've picked some things up a little bit. They've gotten a little unlucky in some of these results. They're also at home in this match with United coming off a super intense game. I don't trust them enough to pick them to win. I also think that United is without Rashford finishing everything in sight is going to have a little bit of a lull here. And maybe it's the wishful thinking. It's the hope that United could choke this away. Oh, the hope. Um, but I, I think the, the my favorite bet is actually not even just the draw. It's the West Ham come from behind draw. Because when I mentioned that back four, if United is up one nil, Toby, how much faith do you have in them holding that lead with that back four being rolled out? I can't imagine it's a lot and you're getting plus 525 for that game to end in a tie. Yeah. All right. I do like that bet. That's a good one. Um, okay. So the entire hour before this, I was just killing time until I can make the bet that I'm most excited about. And you can probably guess what it is. It's another Manchester United cornerback. There it is. I have hit this over and over and over again. I don't know why I ever place my money anywhere else. And West Ham is also conceding a ton of quarters to put some numbers to it. In the last four games, West Ham has conceded 28 corners. In their last four games, Manchester United has conceded 26 corners. So you have teams that are averaging you know, six and a half, seven corners conceded per game. You have the horrible back line at United that you are betting against. And I am actually betting on them, you know, being on their heels, scrambling around, fumbling, putting balls out to the side in desperation because they're wildly out of position at least four or five times in this match. So the only question I had was which number to go with. I ended up going with uh, the pretty standard over 9.5 corners at minus 112. But if you are feeling frisky, over 10.5 corners is plus 154. And if you want to go all the way, uh, over 12 and a half corners is plus 400. And if you want to say I got a one in five oh chance boy. for this pinball machine to go on tilt and the ball keep going over that touchline, I love those odds. But officially, it's just going to be minus 112 on the over nine and a half corners, which I consider a dang near lock. Oh, nothing like rooting for Jared Bowen and Pablo Fornells to just whip the ball in the box over and over again. Nothing like it in this sport. Um, I think that I think that's sarcasm, and I don't appreciate it because there is <laughs> few things I like more than rooting for exactly that for ninety minutes. I love it, and honestly, if it goes anything like the Brighton game, I don't know how many they had. I think it was like ten thousand corners. So you, you're going to be in good shape. Yeah. Okay, uh, that brings us to the five pint and. Uh, I put all five pints. No, I didn't, but I really wanted to put all five pints on oh, that corner. But I, I thought, that. I thought on, about it, I thought it, about it the entire time. Uh, but I've got, I've got a reputation here, Brett, and I've got a lead to protect because I whipped That's you true. in April. Yeah, I whipped you I 30 to 19, and I now have take, I've now taken control of the uh, yearly head-to-head, but both of us are positive, which is pretty strong Ooh. given that we do this every single week. I'm plus 10 units. You're plus 8 units after all of our hooey and, and nonsense. All right. Uh, so for for this week, I am going Newcastle Arsenal, both score no draw at plus one twenty nine. Uh, Manchester to, City to win, both teams to score plus one thirty. Brentford plus uh, one and a half at minus one forty five. Manchester United to win plus one oh seven. And of course, 
the West Ham Manchester United over nine and a half corners minus one twelve. All right. Well, I'm going uh, two pints on the Spurs clean sheet at plus one sixty five. Uh, like I said, I need Roy Hodgson to just do me a solid and just not care about scoring. Um, then I'm gonna I'm gonna ride I'm gonna ride the Cowards way out in two different ways. Uh, I'm going to go with the West hand come from behind and draw, which is actually my favorite bet of the week for one pint. I'm going to take the straight up West Ham United draw uh, as well for plus two sixty for a pint. And then I'm going to take the Arsenal Newcastle over 2.5 goals for minus one fifty. Hopefully May is a new and better month. <laughs> Probably not, but we'll see. Well, we will see. And uh, we will be back next week to, it would be nice to talk about an actual race here, but we're a Liverpool loss away and a full and a Arsenal loss away from only talking about relegation for the next four shows. So I guess what I'm saying is please save us big Sam Allardyce. Shock draw against City. Reignite the race at the top. Come on. Do something, you big bastard. Uh, I don't expect I don't that know to if happen. you want to open Pandora's backs like that and root for big Sam to come back in the Premier League that. You can't put that genie back in the bottle, buddy. I don't know about this. Uh, I want to see the size of that bottle for Big Sam. Holy <laughs> hell. Uh, it's about the size of the one I've got to drink at, drink from every time I watch Chelsea play. That is what I'm sure of. Uh, all right. <laughs> On that note, also, please lose, Chelsea, so I don't have to talk about you next week. These are the things I'm rooting for this week. <laughs> it's rooting for the moratorium and Pablo Fornals to whip corners and... <laughs> Moratorium on Chelsea, <laughs> and I don't know what else. Just sweet release. From if this, this is the best soccer the podcast around. I don't know what is. <laughs> well, we'll be back next week with the best podcast and our usual interchange of horrible advice backed by expert analysis. Enjoy the games, everyone. Take care, y'all.